What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Schlep, and we're back here working our way down the shelf of Paul's letters in the New Testament just to try to boil them down as succinctly and as quickly and as thoroughly as possible. A difficult task, you might even call it a difficult burden to carry, which is where we get our Yiddish word, the Schlep. So anyways, we're going to take a look at the book of Philippians next. Hope you stay tuned with us. All right, all right, all right. We're here looking at the book of Philippians today. And I remember being a new believer. And just like the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians uh, seemed to be a a favorite place to go. In fact, uh, many youth camp sermons are preached from the book of Philippians because the content is just so good. And there's a lot of encouraging things and joyful things and challenging things here in the book of Philippians. Uh, But just some background information. Once again, this is Paul writing to a church that he loves. If you remember, at least from the book of Acts, that Paul visits Philippi and he's thrown in jail there. He's miraculously released from jail and with the jailer next to him, the guy supposed to be like overseeing his stay at the prison, um, that guy becomes a Christian. He and his whole family is baptized and the church in Philippi starts right there in the jailhouse. This is like the quintessential jailhouse religion church in the city of Philippi. So here's a couple things in the background of uh, Philippi and the book of Philippians just to give us a little bit of context to where Paul is coming from. First, Philippi seems to be an irreligious culture. Um, in fact, if you look at Philippi, or sorry, the, the, uh, the book of Philippians and the rest of Paul's letters, you'll notice that he does not, Paul, does not quote the Old Testament scripture one time in his correspondence to the Philippians. He does in many other letters to many other places, uh, but he doesn't even mess with it in the, uh, in the book of Philippians because it seems like uh, Philippi is not a place where uh, religious upstarts would try to uh, open up shop uh, because it was an irreligious place. They didn't have a synagogue there, so no one knew the Old Testament. So it, it was not to Paul's advantage uh, to quote the Old Testament scripture text. What we know about Philippi is that it was an outpost colony where former war hero, heroes would go to retire. So um, those who fought battles for Rome, they would be dispatched to the city of Philippi, which was a long distance away from the capital city of Rome. And that was strategic because Caesar wanted to see that if any of these old war heroes, like Brett Favre, would come out of retirement and uh, had had a little bit of juice left in the tank, that they would see them coming from a long ways away if they were to march on Rome so they could uh, organize their troops to uh, withstand some sort of coup or revolution against the capital city. And so this is probably a very violent culture. It's an irreligious culture. And so it may not be the easiest place to plant a church, but nevertheless, by God's grace, Paul's able to plant a church in the city of Philippi. And you'll notice that he has got fond feelings uh, for the Philippian church. Um, He rejoices over and over again because of them. Um, You'll notice he's got this great wish prayer um, in the first few verses, in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul uses all this 
hyperbolic language, this exaggeration, how he always has joy when he thinks of the Philippian church. No other church is like that um, in Paul's correspondences, but the church in Philippi seems to be this crown jewel among the tapestry of Paul's uh, churches that he has planted. Uh, Paul's, uh, he acknowledges that he's in change for the gospel. He is a prisoner. This is one of his prison letters. Uh, but he's got optimism. He thinks that he's going to be able to be released um, and that he could uh, meet them again. Um, you'll uh, notice in verse 25 his enthusiasm and his optimism. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now there's no evidence that Paul's released from prison that he gives a chance to return to the church in Philippi. But nevertheless, um, he's confident that he's, at least from that point as he's writing this letter, that he wants to get back to them. I mean, he's basically saying this, if I have a chance to be released, if I continue on living and doing the work of ministry, I will come back to you. So Paul has put them on a short list of churches that he wants uh, to revisit once he's released from prison. Another thing that we'll see is that uh, Paul does again and again in this passage, uh, in this uh, book. Um, what you'll see is that when Paul wants to train up leaders and Christians in the faith, he wants to teach them theology. We see that he, he does it other places in the New Testament. But the primary means of raising up disciples for Paul was what we call mimesis, or asking the church uh, to put into practice what they see him doing, or to mimic what he does. You'll notice in verse 8, this is uh, of uh, Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. This is the whatever passage. Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, so Paul um, has had great relationship with the church in Philippi. He wants them to follow his example, and if they do so, they will find themselves bumping into Jesus Christ. So this is a fantastic letter. It's op an optimistic letter. It's a, um, a letter where he's building up the church. Um, it's a joyful letter. He addresses a couple of leaders um, specifically in chapter 2. Paul talks about his own Christian experience in chapter 3. He's very real and he's very vulnerable with this church and so uh, what a letter it is but I think ultimately our takeaway from the book of Philippians is this grand idea that the gospel can spring up anywhere so once again if there's a community in the Roman tapestry that we would assume that we shouldn't even bother to plant a church there it would have been the city of Philippi they have no previous religious knowledge it's a violent culture it's probably the toughest soil to plant the church but Paul says nevertheless the gospel can endure the gospel prevails even in tough places and so for us, there has to be situations, there has to be environments that as we look out into our world, we would say, don't even bother starting a church there. It's an irreligious place. It's going to be tough work. You're not going to find a leader to mobilize there. If you start something, it'll be gone two years from your start date. So why even bother? Spend your time, spend your energy, spend your efforts, spend your money and resources in other places. Be more strategic. In the face of that, we've got this interesting minority report from the New Testament, from Paul's letters, which says, perhaps there still is a plan. Perhaps there still is an opportunity to plant the gospel 
in an unusual place. And who knows, maybe a beloved church will pop out in the midst of all of our effort and all of our prayers and all of our work. And so uh, I think that that would be an encouragement for us as we consider uh, the work of God around us today. So let's close with perhaps the most famous passage from the book of Philippians. It's in chapter 2. We call this the kenosis hymn. Uh, Kenosis meaning an emptying, a self-emptying. And we think that this might have been uh, either a poem or one of the first songs um, in these early worshiping communities as people sought the face of Jesus. And so let's read Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. It's an admonition and it's a hymn and it's theology at the same time. Paul says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we conclude our time in the book of Philippians, may we think on such things and may we worship the God that we find in Jesus Christ knowing that he's rescued and saved us because he first emptied himself out for our sake. Well, that's all for next time. We'll see you next time as we look at the book of Colossians on the schlep.